the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. It's Wine Women Radio Hour. Very happy to be back with you and have you listening today because we've got a very exciting and very interesting show to share with you today. Uh, but first, I want to check in with the co-host, Misty Rodebush kane from St. Soubry. How are you, Misty? Hi, Marsha. I'm fantastic. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here today. Are you totally knee-deep with OND, as we call it in the industry, October, November, December, we're into December, with uh, December wine sales? Yes, we are, for sure, from the direct perspective and then deep with planning for our wholesale department. Aha, uh-huh. good stuff. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it's moving forward. That's good. Lisa Adams-Walter, how are you? Hello, hello, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Have you been busy writing for the Napa Valley Register and other publications and uh, doing all your PR work for wineries? I've been really busy. Everybody's ramping up for 2021. So there's a lot of planning that's been going on the last few months and kind of tying up, you know, the end of this year. And um, it's a busy time, especially as we're all pivoting and being very flexible, wineries in particular being very flexible during this period of time where we're really not sure what's next. Yeah, that's right. We are lucky in that right now, um, Napa and Sonoma counties have been spared the higher level of lockdowns that are occurring in San Francisco and in the South Bay. Um, So that's a plus, but um, it varies across the country quite a bit. So we have to take advantage of the greater freedoms that we still have and that our restaurants can still serve outdoors and our wineries can still offer tastings um, in a safe manner in their locations. So uh, fingers crossed that the COVID pandemic um, at least holds in place, but doesn't get any worse for us. So my fingers crossed on that. Anyway, on to our show for today, which is a real departure for us in some ways. Um, But let me provide a little background for our listeners, uh, because I think it does provide some background, um, does require some. Um, On October 29th, the New York Times ran an explosive expose that was titled, The Wine World's Most Elite Circle Has a Sexual Harassment Problem by Julia Moskin. Ms. Moskin's detailed story included not one, not two, but 21 women who reported being sexually harassed, manipulated, or assaulted by male master sommeliers. And as I read this story, I was really struck by its similarity to the equally explosive allegations leveled at Hollywood's Harvey Weinstein just two years ago by some of Hollywood's most high-profile actresses. Since the story was published in the New York Times at the end of October, numerous publications have picked up the story, expanded on it, followed up on the changes or lack thereof, taking place at the Court of Master Sommeliers, the organization from which these women and many men sought and or have received conference of the title Master Sommelier. 
long considered one of the most prestigious titles and highest paying professions in the wine industry. No less than Forbes, Wine Searcher, the Drinks Industry, the San Francisco Chronicle, numerous wine related blogs, as well as longtime wine critic Jancis Robinson and wine writer Karen McNeil have all chimed in on this scandal. Um, after these accusations came to light, the Court of Master Sommeliers vowed to make changes, yay. Uh, the chairman of the board resigned and at least 12 more male Master Sommeliers have had charges leveled at them. The court suspended men pending an independent investigation, which is supposedly underway right now. The women, plus many others in the industry, have called for the entire board of directors to resign, which they subsequently did. After that, a new board was elected and reported on in the New York Times just this past week uh, at the beginning of December. I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit more later. Today on Wine Women Radio, we're going to speak with two women sommeliers about the state of the industry for women and specifically the problems at the Court of Master Sommeliers. Wine Women was originally founded to champion the advancement of women's careers in the wine industry by building strong relationships, essential business skills, and leadership among members. So it was not only disheartening for me personally to read that this heinous behavior continues, which happens to include at least one Alan story, after the Harvey Weinstein case exposed and began illuminating this long-hidden nastiness in the workplace, it then angered me no end that these men's actions dashed several women's career dreams and earnings potential. Misty, Lisa, and I could think of no more important topic for our show than continuing to keep this form of discrimination in the spotlight to help these women and all women in the workplace to improve their working conditions. Although we usually keep this show to a lighter tone, this was simply too important not to discuss. That said, I'd like to move on and introduce our esteemed guest today. Laura Polly is a chef and sommelier here in San Francisco with Cucina Testarossa. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for be being on today. Appreciate your time. I know you're really super busy, so we, we appreciate your taking your time out with us. This is worth, this is worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, our other guest today is Rachel Van Til, the wine club manager and lead sommelier at the clubs at Houston Oaks in Houston, Texas. Rachel is one of the 21 women sommeliers whose story was told in the New York Times article, as well as in the, far, the Forbes Post and other articles. So welcome to the show, Rachel, and thank you for your time. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm grateful that we're here. I need the United. I need the United. I need you and I've heard a little bit also from the co-hosts a little bit. What what do you want to tell our listeners about your personal experience with sexual harassment in the industry or some some form of harassment? What what do you want to say and who wants to go first? So I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, David Foster Wallace, the, the author, um, and he did a commencement speech um, and he told a little parable and there's an older fish swimming along and he comes across two younger fish and 
he says, hey boys, how's the water today? And they keep swimming past each other. And one of the young fish looks at the other fish and says, what is water? Right? Do we yeah. know? Do we even know? Um, I think, you know, this is easily in my 10 years in the wine industry, um, the issue for me, um, it's been constant. It's been unabating. It's been, you know, microaggressions to, you know, um, being put in these quid pro quo situations. But I think that like, we're so used to it that we don't know how to see it sometimes, whether it's by putting branding other women as difficult um, or just, I mean, if it happens more than once saying she's crying wolf when it's maybe just the fact that this is such a big issue. Um, I, I don't, I don't think you can work in this world and pretend that this isn't a really, really big problem unless you're really, really blind. But I think we all have been so used to it that it's, it's very difficult to see, um, especially for, you know, some of the men. Right. Fascinating. Um, I'm just going to uh, chime in with a quick short story that kind of uh, follows up a little bit on, on your parable, Rachel, which was I saw an article in which the actress Sandra Bullock commented about um, working in the industry and on a film set post Harvey Weinstein era. And she commented that the other men, cast members, crew members and whatnot, um, were all very guarded in their behavior. And once she told them it was okay to say something, they relaxed a bit, but they, they're very nervous now that they, they don't understand what they can and can't say. So they're very, very guarded because they don't even know what the water is. Um, and, and so they, they, they erred on the cautious side, probably a good thing. Um, I'm interested to hear what your experiences, uh, good, bad, otherwise, have been in the industry, Laura. Um, uh, how sad that men don't know how to behave. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, you know, it's it's been mixed. I came into the industry much later in my early 50s. Um, so I had much more ageism than, um, than sexual harassment. I had a few issues of sexual harassment, which I was able to brush aside and I'm a little bit more removed. Um, I'm not working on the floor of a restaurant, so it's, I don't have that sort of pressure happening. Um, but I think there's, I, I mean, it, it's happening all around and, and everybody knew it. And um, for people to say, I didn't know about it is just simply not true. It's absolutely not true. I think, you know, it's really crazy to me how many people on social media uh, acted so surprised when this happened. I've been, I mean, when the cheating scandal happened back in, what was it, 2018, I think, um, there was an email that went out to all the people who had taken tests with um, the CMS. And um, it was clearly addressing something very, very important. I can't tell you how many women I talked to that said, I thought that email was gonna be about sexual harassment and finally getting to the bottom of it um, instead of being um, about the, the cheating scandal um, and, and that, that whole um, situation. And I think everybody was very surprised that it wasn't addressed sooner. I will say because it was such an elephant in the room and I knew so many people that 
um, were aware of the situations that were happening, um, I kind of thought it would never be addressed. Um, and I'm really amazed that it's that it is being even talked about um, because we've had to be quiet for so long. Well, it's being talked about because of the brave women like you that came forward and said enough, like the same women that came forward and said enough about Harvey Weinstein and enough about Ken Freeman. It takes a core group of really brave women who are risking it all to, to stand up for all women. And, um, so, and unfortunately, that's what it takes because there's so many people protecting the abusers. And I think that's wrong. That's a, a huge issue with, with the court right now. They've been so protected. And the fact that there's still one person on the board who's a holdover is inconceivable to me. The fact that there's so many men on the board is inconceivable to me. Um, you know what I was um, thinking about this this morning? I was I was talking with um, one of the other women who wasn't in the article, but who had um, kind of been in one of these situations and hadn't gone on the record. Um, only one of the accused uh, male MSs has resigned. How many women have resigned? and how many have suspended their membership. I think it's at like five now. And it, it blows my mind that women are taking responsibility and the men still are not. I mean, I just, that blows my mind. Yeah, it's it's a pretty rough one to, to hear. Oh my um, and, and there are a couple of different camps out there um, that I have heard uh, overall, one camp says um, we should all resign and do and do something new, and another camp says let's uh, let's rebuild from within on that. And and before we get into the rebuild from within or don't rebuild. Uh, let's let's go back for a little bit more exposition for our listeners who may not know anything about the court of the master sommeliers. Um, the, the master organization began in Europe. Um, so specifically, um, the article is addressing the American chapter of the global organization. Um, it's very elite. Uh, there are only about 200 master sommeliers, I believe, worldwide. Uh, I think, if I recall correctly, about 155 master sommeliers exist in total in the U.S. And of that 155, around 133 are men. So the gender balance is non-existent. Uh, it's way out of whack. Um, it's kind of astonishing to me since the organization did not begin until the very light, late 1990s in the US that this level of sexism, ageism, and discrimination exists so heavily in the US. It's, it's pretty huge. Um, and the, the other thing that is astonishing to me is the secretiveness of everything. Um, in most advanced training programs and uh, degree programs across the world, 
if you are going for a master's degree or a doctorate degree with any form of a university, there is a fairly transparent system of applying to the school, of following their coursework, getting graded in some form or another on that coursework. It's a very formalized system in which you know where you stand and what it takes to advance. And all of that seems entirely lacking in the court of master sommeliers. Is that, is that correct? Well, Rachel, both you and Laura are members of the court at different degrees. Um, and perhaps we should explain a little bit what those levels are because we haven't done that up until this point. There's four levels, right? Yes, um, there's the introductory exam, which is entirely theory-based. Um, you sit a two-day course. Um, I really enjoyed mine, learning how to blind taste, getting a crash course in the world of wine. Um, so that's you know pretty short and sweet, fairly simple and straightforward. Um, then there's the certified sommelier exam after that, um, in which you sit a three-part exam, blind tasting, theory, and service. Mm -hmm. And um, a good deal more difficult than the first one. Then you get onto the third level, which again is a pretty big jump, uh, the advanced sommelier exam, um, which is a, a three-day uh, test. I passed mine in Phoenix in 2018. Um, and then there's the master sommelier diploma, which I think has about a 3% pass rate at this point in time, um, which is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, wow. And that is something that you have to sit theory for. And if you pass a very, very difficult theory exam, then you are permitted to sit service and tasting. Um, tasting probably being the most notoriously uh, difficult part of the test. And wow. I, I, I do, Marsha brought up a really great point that I'd love to sort of ask you ladies about, um, you know, the, the code of ethics across different industries, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a realtor. I mean, in order to achieve and receive these licenses or these ability to do business in whatever state you reside in, there is a really strong code of ethics that you have to abide by. And if you do not, you know, your license or your ability to practice medicine in that state or that area could be revoked. Is there any type of code of ethics or anything like that for the master court of sommeliers? If there, go ahead. No, I just said not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I don't, I think that's don't like, adhere to it. <laughs> right, it's like particularly hilarious that nobody has any idea. Um, but I just want to like take a step back real quick because like we're drawing on like a terrible sample pool. These are all restaurant people. Like the things restaurant people normalize and are, are, are okay with, like it's not hard to look professional when, you know, all sorts of shenanigans are happening all around you. I've had my butt slapped. I've had my thigh grabbed. I've had guys try to get me to sit on their lap, like in a really nice really like great restaurant and you know I was thankfully uh, working on a team where like we got this this situation down where like if I didn't want to go back to the table I would tag one of the male sommeliers in and they were really great about like understanding uh that situation but like even myself at this point when I say like sexual harassment is like water it's like air I can't get away from it like that doesn't even bother me anymore not really because I can get out of the situation and at the end of the night I can go home and I don't feel particularly threatened 
what's so crazy about these leaders in the industry is that it is a certifying board. Like if I have a, if I have an abusive boss, which I, you know, I've been in that situation, you can leave your job and you can find a different job. But if you are part of a community where the leadership is abusive, um, it might affect which exams you apply for, what scholarships you get. Let's not forget about that one. Let's talk about money. Um, it's going to affect uh, if you choose not to sit for a higher examination, even if you know as much as the people who pass it, you know, what you're eligible um, sort of to make. I, for me, um, I was furloughed for six months um, during quarantine and um, was thankfully able to get a really great situation for myself, but I was able to negotiate it largely based on some of the guilds um, salary surveys and what was normal to make at my level. Um, so like, I think that the, the impact here is, is much huger than people are, are actually like, of course, the emotional and psychological damage um, and the alienation, um, should you choose to even voice these concerns is huge. But like, let's talk about money. Like, what does this look like, actually? But I just, I just think it's like hilarious trying to hold restaurant people to like a professional standard, which I think the court, like they've been trying to get into the meritocracy thing and they spout so much about professionalism and they large, like in certain ways have done a good job, but like getting restaurant people to like being, be held to that kind of standard. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just an interesting idea, I guess. That yeah, that's hard for that's, me coming, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Laura. Well, that was the hardest part for me because I came I came from the high tech world and I'd been in marketing for um, for 10 years, 15 years before I went to cooking school. And um, and then uh, 10 years later, I went and did my sommelier studies. So I came from a very professional background and um, I, I felt like I was walking into Animal House. Um, it was it was shocking to me. I mean, I, I'd, I'd had some idea of what to expect, but really nobody can prepare you. Even in even in some really high end restaurants that I worked at in the kitchen, I mean, the conversations that went on were were pretty appalling. So I, I think it it is pervasive um, at yeah. all levels. And that normalization that uh, both Rachel and you point out, I mean, it's pretty appalling and it's very similar and and parallel to what's happened in the film industry and you know and they're you know probably I would say ahead of us in regards to the rebuilding phases and as Marsha pointed out with I, I read that same Sandra Bullock article and I loved that you know she wrote in the article that you know I had hit it I had I, I reached a certain level of um, financial success that I contemplated leaving the industry at a point in time because of this normalized behavior that was rampant. So it's really sad and sad and I mean, I've been in the industry for almost a year, a decade and a half on the opposite side. And it's very saddening to hear about how rampant that um, just appalling behavior is in the, in the you know restaurant space and wine industry overall. So I really hope that um, there can be some movement forward. What surprises me too is that that these people didn't didn't see what was happening with the Harvey Weinstein's of the world and equate it to their behavior. Um, I mean, it, it was so public. I don't think there's a human on the planet that doesn't know about the Weinstein scandal. And to see what was happening, to see people's careers imploding because of their behavior, and to continue it to me is mind-boggling. It's like what you said, Rachel. They don't know what water is. They don't realize. 
no, no, no. Uh, yeah, it's like the thing that blow. Well, so here and here's I have a lot of male friends. I think that like the terrifying thing about Weinstein is he is so horrific that many people compare themselves to him and say, "Well, I kind of had consent," or "I'm not as bad as that guy," right? Well, that doesn't seem to be like a good measuring stick for being a good guy, which by the way, like the the number of times I have to hear that thrown around, oh, he's a really great guy. What does that even mean? Right, right, absolutely. So just the fact that it wasn't a wake up call really surprises me. I guess it didn't, but it does. Well, I, I was going to add, I've worked, you know, on the street, moving boxes very early in my career. And, um, you know, it was difficult for a young woman to sell wine because of the old boys network. And um, then I went on, you know, to work in what I wanted to do, which was wine PR, what I went to school to do. And I worked for some large wineries that had national sales teams and it was 95, 97% male. So mm. it, that, that's something that, and, and I think the women that were there had to take a lot, you know, and I would see it in the sales meetings. They would have to take a lot from these guys who were used to just being in the back room of liquor stores and thinking it was okay to, to be really rude and disrespectful. And they almost, there was like this locker room camaraderie between the men and it's completely disrespectful to women who are professionals and working hard. Do you feel like going back to the whole, uh, this is the water we live in situation, do you feel that even the way you were viewed was always sexualized so much you couldn't break out of that perception as er, a salesperson? Yes, definitely, yeah, definitely. And it happened across the country when I was traveling for a wine brand happened everywhere. Wow. And with the leadership, I think that that's, you know, I've heard countless stories um, from female executives that I've worked with on the sales side of what the old distributor ships used to look like and, you know, how few women there really were in those, um, and even just manager positions to executive leadership, even less. So it was, it was difficult from what I've heard. And I've heard some pretty horrific stories as well. And what gets me is besides the, the obvious emotional toll that all of that takes on you, uh, the, the men seem to have completely overlooked the financial impact this has on women. Um, it means that um, women, you know, women don't get to invited to events and golf outings and um, you know, to, to strip clubs and things like that where business would get done. Um, and so they would be out of the financial earnings portion of the job uh, and that they just did not have the same opportunities to bring home the same paycheck. And if those women happen to be married, that also means that the, the family income is not what it should be split between husband and wife uh, because the woman simply didn't have the same opportunity. We know that the overall um, women as a whole, not just the wine industry, um, women earns less, uh, something like 
$454,000 less over the lifetime of their careers than men do, which is basically the cost of a house in large swaths of the U.S. That's how much earnings they're losing over the life of their career. It's enormous. Really yeah, so Marcia, I've, I've heard uh, reports that have reported that gender pay gap as, you know, anywhere from like in the 80% range of a, of a woman bring home about 80% to that of a, of a male salary. Yeah. And also yeah. too, I mean, Rachel, maybe correct me if it's changed in the last few years, but you had to be sponsored by, is it three master sommeliers to even be um, admitted to take the advanced and then the... Um, the uh, master something. So, I mean, you, you don't even get to sit for the exam. You don't even get to the table without- Yeah, I think that that was really dangerous. Now, thankfully, I think in, a, in the last two years, they've done away with that. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, that was a really defining thing for me when I was, um, you know, working in Northern Michigan and in Detroit, there's not a lot of master sommeliers. And um, you certainly have to take advantage of any chance you can to taste with them, to uh, get to know them, to ask for mentorship. Um, so then when you have somebody who's really, really well known, that's interested in your career and you take it for granted that, you know, they have no ill intent um, to start crossing those lines when you need those references, um, when passing that certification is, is the chance to, um, you know, make equal pay when even like, I think the thing about being a woman too is you're just almost always perceived as less professional, even if you behave exactly the same way and you know as much or more. There's something about like the feminine presence that doesn't doesn't jive with kind of a male idea of professionalism a lot of times, which I think is its own conversation perhaps. Um, but you know, you, you're willing to put up with a whole lot uh, in order to um, in order to get those references and, and it certainly harmed me I certainly put up with things I wouldn't have and I also just assumed you know like I had a pretty robust sense of myself I was pretty um deeply ingrained in a very uh hipster restaurant scene that was really edgy and you know not all the behavior was um appropriate a lot of the time and it was like well I can always say no like what's gonna happen he's not gonna rape me but then it escalated to a point where like, I no longer felt safe. And um, I don't know how many people have read the article, but I was sent um, a, a pretty explicit oral sex guide. Um, and I responded something to the, he asked me if I was um, offended and that wasn't quite the right word. It was clear that he had crossed line. I wasn't really offended per se, but I did need to let him know that. And I said, like, I don't, I don't like to be that frank with my professional contacts because I wanted to put him back in, in that space. Um, but even after that, like it took a few more steps for me to get really uncomfortable and really scared. And like looking back at my younger self, I think I was 25 or 26. Like I put up with so much more than I should have um, because I thought I had to. Isn't that, isn't that the core of how out of balance and how awful the double standard is, is that you just, you had no way of knowing that that should be unacceptable behavior to have to deal with that. Um, so there's, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be said for, for shifting that system. Um, I wanted to touch on a couple things that were suggestions that came from other female MSs or advanced SOMs 
um, Christy Norman put out that she said for the exam preparations, um, she wanted the court to put out a comprehensive study guide and mock exams that reflect the topics that are going to be on the exams at the level of difficulty they're at. I was shocked to find out that's not even available to you at this point in time. No wonder, you, you know, the passing rate is only 3% when you have absolutely no, nothing to go on. And this goes right. back to a lot of other gross errors made by the Court of Master Sommeliers over the past few years. There was the cheating scandal back from a couple of years ago. Um, just this past year alone, um, there was a huge delay in responding to people who were losing their jobs because of COVID. Um, people who um, wanted a, a fairly comprehensive and quick response uh, to the rise of Black Lives Matter and some commentary. And that seemed to be completely botched. So the court has really made a lot of errors. And, um, and it looks like some things may or may not change since it was just in the past week or so that they elected a new board. Many people don't even know how they were elected and it's still a majority of men on the board uh, with only three women uh, uh, on the new board. Um, and some of these people have been on the board in past years or in a past decade. So I wanna ask um, both of you, Rachel and Laura, uh, what, do you think what do you think should be some of the next steps? Do you think it's possible to overhaul the Court of Master Sommeliers with the new board, with another board? Or do you think it really should just, it, it should just be folded entirely and a new system put in its place? Who wants to jump in? Rachel, I'll let you take this one first. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's like, we're in a really interesting place um, for me the thing I wanted the most out of coming forward with that article, well, it was twofold. One was just to make it okay for other women to come forward. Um, and I, I do recognize that my um, certification and job security um, made me uniquely privileged to be able to do that. I think that that has to be acknowledged. But um, I wanted an apology and an acknowledgement that it happened, um, especially because I knew so many people knew about it. And I don't feel that the victims of this have received that. Um, there was a petition that was put out by uh, three highly regarded advanced sommeliers um, to the board um, detailing uh, several demands from the community. It has well over a thousand signatures at this point. It's been endorsed by close to 20 MSs, I think. Um, and I, I, it, like, it blows my mind that there's still been no public response to that. Now, I, I really hope that that gets in front of them um, and, and we see what happens. You know, I, I don't know what to say about whether or not it can be. I think it will be interesting to see what happens. I've heard several um, master sommeliers speak about, you know, things like including, um, including certified and advanced um, sommeliers in the voting process. I think that if you did that, if they were allowed to vote for the board or, or be more 
um, involved in the, the entire like community and how decisions were reached, I think you would see a really different organization than you do now if you really democratized it. Um, but as it stands right now, all of you know, the people going through the testing are beholden to a very small group of people. Um, so I guess the short answer is, I don't know. I think it would have, like, I think that there are radical things that could happen, um, but it's really a wait and see for me. Okay. Laura. Um, I've got a little different take. Um, That's okay. <laughs> um, to your point about not, there not being um, a set curriculum that you'd mentioned earlier, Marcia, um, after I, I had just passed certified and, and I, I was talking to the person who was head of the, or who had brought the court over to the US and I said, you know, what's the path? And he said, you have to make your own path. And I said, well, <laughs> that doesn't help me. And, um, you know, so once you pass, you're certified, there is no path and you're completely dependent on a master sommelier to take you on as a mentee. So um, you're really at the mercy of these people. Um, with, um, to your point about, um, and then earlier, um, what I've seen is that the court has been completely tone deaf in their response to every scandal from the cheating to the Black Lives Matter and now to this. I mean, their, their responses have been so tone deaf, have been so mind-bogglingly incompetent. It, I, I just, I can't even articulate how, how crazy this is to me. Um, from, uh, in my opinion, I think they need an entirely new board and they need an entirely new staff. Um, I think they need to bring in many more women. I think having three women, you know, I wrote this on Facebook. I said, this is just insulting. This is like here, okay, are you happy now, ladies? Calm down. Um, so I found that incredibly insulting. I think they need to bring in a CEO, a seasoned CEO, not from the wine world, not from the restaurant world, somebody who has run a business, who's run an organization, who can run it with integrity and transparency. I think that is the only way that this organization um, can have a shred of credibility. Um, I don't think we should burn the ship. I think we should burn the inside of the ship. And, um, you know, I think we need new people. We need people on the board who've never been in wine, but who have run organizations. I believe we need a third party something to uh, administer the testing. We can't have the people who are who are sexually harassing people giving giving the exams and grading the exams. I mean, it, it's it, it's such a conflict. It's ridiculous the fact that it, it was even allowed to go on this long. So um, you know, my opinion is you know the board can the court can raise money enough money to have a couple salaries, bring in a full time a real CEO a real COO from outside of the industry to run it the way it should be run. And I think then, um, and, and like Rachel said, have um, certified enough, everybody gets to vote on the board. Um, like AAA, I even get my, my mailer every year to vote on the AAA board. I mean, let everybody vote on the court board. And, and I think then it can truly be an, an independent, um, transparent organization of integrity and right now it's not and bringing on a few new, few women a few new women it isn't because it's the old guard people who are still who are being investigated for sexual harassment they are the ones who voted on the current board so i just i find it all completely um uh i don't know the word mind-boggling that um, I, I, go ahead sorry i'm done 
Oh, I just, I guess like I may be too jaded for my own good at this point because I did come forward and like try to um, uh, bring complaints against the master sommelier who put me in a really um, difficult position very early in my career. And I was told by the chairman of the board, I don't know if it went to the ethics committee or what, like I'd be curious to see the paperwork, um, but I was told I was being, and I quote, dramatic. Um, so like, I guess like uh, none of this really shocks me whatsoever. Like I'm disappointed, sure. And the whole black, well, it's just like when you exemplify and talk about like professionalism all the time to like, I think that the botched Black Lives Matter was like, they didn't reach out to the person that they said was going to be their ally. And then she got a bunch of texts and calls saying, oh, you're working with the CMS. She's like, they didn't ever talk to me about it. Like, how does that even happen? Like that blows my mind. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see once they kind of get more of a professional take on how things are run. Um, I know that they are talking about bringing an outside CEO and having board seats um, um, uh, taken up by non-board members. Hopefully that means, you know, people with um, professional experience in the areas in which they lack. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I guess nothing surprises me anymore. Wow, that's telling and it's sad um, that, you know, they, they've bungled so many things that you've run out of things to be surprised about. Um, I'm curious what you both think about um, the CMS's ability in the US to stay afloat. Um, Will, will their credibility crumble? Um, I think there was a certain sense after the exam scandal a couple years ago that they were going to have to do some reputation rebuilding. But I'm not, I'm not sure that, I, I'm not sure how much of a reputation loss they had uh, and whether or not they had to rebuild it um, do you think, for instance, that restaurant owners pay a whole lot of attention to all of this going on behind the scenes? Uh, because they're the ones doing the hiring of master sommeliers. Um, how, what's their awareness of all of this? I have no idea, personally. I think largely people who are in it are aware of these things happening, but to most consumers, you know, the people who have seen the Psalm documentary or, you know, been to a restaurant with sommelier who has a pin or, or whatnot, I don't think most of them are aware. Um, I don't think they're yeah, aware of any of these things. Right. Yeah, and but I think that um, they're aware of the organization that kind of have a good idea of what it stands for. I think they did, a you know, have done a really good job of branding themselves in the past. And I think that not, not a whole lot of that's gonna get lost in the consumer. And I think it, it's hard to explain to them why this is such a, a big problem, why it's not simple because they don't necessarily have to go through it or understand how the testing works. Um, so to that point, you know, like I haven't stopped wearing my pin at work because as a young woman, um, I'm 30 years old, um, I deal mostly with a, a, an older and wealthy clientele and anything that I can, you know, have that gives me extra credibility 
um, is, is a benefit to my income. And, you know, right now I'm the only working parent. So uh, that's really important to me. Um, I think it would be really, you would have to have something come up that could compete with it. And so far, while I love, you know, W set and kind of the masters of wine, it's not geared at restaurants. Um, you would right. have to have something and the other programs that are out there, like I've heard horror stories about some of them and, you know, not getting refunds and the lack of professionalism. So I don't, it, I don't think there's anything that can compete with it right now. Um, and I think that now more than ever in a COVID era where there are so many jobs lost, I don't think you can pretend that certification isn't extremely important um, to um, getting, getting a secure situation for yourself. And to Rachel's, to Rachel's point, um, having just completed my, my W set too, um, I was extremely impressed with um, that organization overall. I mean, a very limited interaction as far as my interaction with the organization, but the process to actually achieve um, and earn your certification within that organization is fairly um, straightforward. Obviously, there's a lot of training and preparation that goes into it. Um, and the more advanced levels, I know it does require more mentorship and more tasting and, you know, more additional sort of expenses, personal and time commitments you have to make. But, um, but I, I see where you're coming from with regards to, it, it is a little lacking in regards to the service side of it, where it covers basic wine service, you know, decanting temperatures, wine, wine making, all of that, regionals, but I could see the service um, situation. So, I mean, obviously there's a void and at least there is another organization out there that restaurants can go to when they're, you know, if, if they are made aware of this situation. So there are some solutions and some options, which is good for the public. Yeah, congratulations on passing that. Oh, thanks. I, I, I had applied for the CSW as well, um, but I personally needed more of a structured environment. And uh, my company offered a um, training course with um, an instructor. So that was really helpful for me. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. I, I just, I wanted to mention um, while we're talking about the restaurant industry and the wine industry and maybe put this out there for everybody. I mean, this is a very deep seated problem with raising children um, that these perspectives are in place. And um, I think that, you know, I was looking for something that I wanted to share with all of you. And it was something that my daughter had shared with me and it, it, it says things like it was just locker room talk and locker room talk is crossed out. It says it was just endorsing sexual assault and boys will be boys. And the second boys is crossed out and it reads boys will be sexual predators if not taught better. And I think these are all really important things. Men have urges and urges is crossed out. Men have to learn to control themselves. And then finally it says girls shouldn't be so provocative and so provocative is crossed out and it says, girls shouldn't be sexually assaulted. And then it says, there, I fixed it. <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> mentioning that because um, if I had a way to share my screen, I was gonna share that. But I think that, um, you know, I'm of a different generation than Misty and I, 
I think when I was younger, I thought it was just, and I think Rachel, you mentioned this and, and you're of a different generation. I mean, when I was younger, I thought, okay, well, this is just what I have to endure. And it's, you know, I think it, it be, you know, it became public with the Me Too movement. I'm so grateful for these, you know, the women such as you, Rachel, who came out and, and did this, you know, who were willing to speak about it because it's not okay, but it even needs to begin, it needs to begin long ago. <laughs> It needs to begin with how people are raised and men and women alike, like women need to feel strong enough and feel like um, it's, you know, they need to know that it's not okay as well. Yeah, I think it's so like interesting. Like, I think, you know, like for all of the wonderful things he did, um, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, right? Um, kind of opens the door to the jungle and, and maybe made it more okay than I would want it to have been for me. Um, I really, really hope that I have given people some sort of permission to be loud. I hope that we all have um, and just be able to speak the truth. I don't know how we haven't been able to, but we haven't. And um, I think it's time for women to get loud about their experiences. And I think especially you know, I, I know my privilege, um, you know, being white, educated, um, working in a lot of really great restaurants, um, like what's the worst that's going to happen to me? You know, it's not going to be that bad. I'll always be able to get a pretty good job in a restaurant. But I think that like we owe it to the women who haven't gotten that far to speak up because if, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, like you're not going to if that's your employer, or that's your situation. So I guess like if there's a call to action, it's just speak out. Uh, I want to thank you both uh, to our guests, uh, Rachel Lynn Till and Laura Polly for being with us today on the Wine Women Radio Hour. Uh, your time is really valuable. And the fact that you were willing to spend some of it with us, we really, really appreciate. Uh, Lisa and Misty, thank you again for your time and insights uh, with our guests today and with our listeners. And I guess I should also say to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Wine Women Radio Hour. We appreciate your time as well and hope you're going to tune in with us next week when we have another guest or two or three on Wine Women Radio Hour. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thanks you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye -bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for tackling this. Woohoo!